everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. It's good to be with you again today. This is the news edition of the podcast, which is trying to be a bi-weekly podcast, which I go over all the news of the world and look for, first and foremost, signs that uh, we are told to look for explicitly in the Bible. But if I don't find any of that, I will at least go over the news that's um, important, I think, for us to make better decisions about our lives and things like that in light of all this craziness. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. There you can sign up for the newsletter, which is also the show notes. So I will send out the links to all the stories that I will read on the podcast on Sunday. So again, go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com for that. All right, let's start off with some COVID news this time. And I wanted to get into a couple news stories one from Bloomberg that says CDC limits reviews of vaccinated but infected spurring concerns. Now that's from Bloomberg, so by no means a conspiracy website. Here is a, another, <laughs> from a conspiracy website, another take on that that you'll read the headline and notice the, the, the truth of the matter, I think. CDC changes rules for counting breakthrough cases, as and breakthrough cases, by the way, mean cases of COVID that are with people that have already been vaccinated against COVID. So breakthrough cases. CDC changes rules for counting breakthrough cases as more fully vaccinated people test positive after reducing PCR cycles to just 28, but only for the vaccinated people to hide the fact that the vaccinated are otherwise testing positive in droves. I can connect this story with lots of others that are showing up in the feed, things like this one here from RT World News, which says German interior minister catches coronavirus after vaccination. Now, that's just because he's a public figure, which is why this is a news story. But there appears to be at least, I would say, equal. I don't think there's enough data to know exactly yet. But one study here from Public Health England seems to suggest that the majority of their COVID cases are people that were vaccinated. This is a majority of COVID hospital admissions over the winter were vaccinated, PHE study shows. So this is Public Health England. They did a study of people that were having COVID uh, reactions or hospitalizations and found that 57% had received at least one vaccine dose. So that's interesting, of course, because you know, this isn't really that good of a vaccine if the most of the people that are showing up in the hospitals uh, have had the vaccine. So um, it's interesting. And of course, it could be that the PCR tests, as people that have been following this know, the PCR tests are notoriously uh, unreliable over about 26 cycles. And so it could be that everybody's just getting covid and some of those have been vaccinated, some of them haven't. In other words, it could be uh, unrelated because the PCR test is such a scam at this point. But I tend to think there is a correlation here. And why else I, would the CDC say, hey, we need to change the rules for people that have been vaccinated? So basically what they're saying is if a person gets a COVID test, their test has to be treated differently than another person that had not been vaccinated to determine if they have COVID, which is absolutely insane. Um, the idea is that they don't want to report COVID cases among vaccinated people because it might give people the wrong idea, basically. They're selling it as, if they get reported as COVID, it's probably like, you know, not even that severe, not even really worth worrying about or whatever. So let's only count them number one, at a completely different threshold, 
And number two, let's really only report them if they've been hospitalized or they die. This article says, according to a statement on the CDC's website, the agency said to, quote, help maximize the quality of the data collected on cases of the greatest clinical and public health importance, it will stop reporting weekly COVID breakthrough infections unless they result in hospitalization or death. The news followed another change announced late last month in how PCR tests should be administered to the fully vaccinated. Both changes will result in lower overall numbers of reports of breakthrough cases in the U.S. So I don't know. This seems kind of suggestive that um, they may be more vulnerable to illness. That is the vaccinated, which is certainly not confirmed. That's the problem with all this. Nobody knows enough to say for sure anything but there does at least seem to be a suggestion that they'll be as equally likely to get COVID and to die of COVID that if they hadn't got it. I don't know. Maybe not. Or at least if, if they got a variant. Now, this if you tie this in with the theory that Geert van den Bosch that we talked about last week, in which he was certainly not a skeptic of vaccines, he was very pro-vaccine, but he said you shouldn't give an entire population the same vaccine, especially during a pandemic, because it could essentially, without going through all the details, I encourage you to watch Geert van den Bosch, YouTube, etc., for him to explain that, but it could be creating an environment in which we are breeding very deadly variants, and it could also cause unintended immune consequences, especially for those people that are currently um, have a robust and effective immune response, such as children. It could be putting them in danger as well. So that is something to look into. But that would be one reason that CDC could change, change its guidance here. But it also makes me think of something that I didn't really know about until today, which is that vaccinated people, that, that it's really important not to get vaccinated if you have had COVID recently. So a quick boots on the ground story here. I talked to a guy today who is in his like early mid forties. He said he recently got COVID and was just totally knocked out for three weeks. Just absolutely terrible. He said he's relatively in shape, weightlifter type guy, uh, considers himself very healthy, but he was knocked out. He lost 39 pounds. Everybody in his circle sort of got it, had a hard time with it. And he sort of described it as a variant. And, you know, that was why he said he hadn't been vaccinated. Nobody in his family had been vaccinated. Seemed to sort of agree with the sort of general ideas that I would have about those kinds of things. But we didn't really get into it. My point is, is that he said that his doctor told him not to get vaccinated because he had just gotten COVID and uh, that it wasn't necessary. And it was also not a good idea. He didn't really go into it much. But then I saw this article that I'm about to read excerpts from. And it really got me thinking about it because this is something that is important to know that I had not known previously, or I'd, I'd known some things about it, but here we go. So this is uh, from a an anti-vax site, uh, Vaccine Impact. So take it with a grain, grain of salt. It says, you've been served. Notice, CVS, Rite Aid, and their pharmacists have criminal liabilities for indiscriminate COVID-19 vaccination. And basically, this is an open letter from a Dr. Hunan Norchasm, MD, PhD, to CVS and Rite Aid, saying that basically they've been served, that they cannot indiscriminately vaccinate people that have have recently had COVID because it's dangerous, but he makes some interesting um, um, assertions in this. First, it says, many physicians have now, this is before he gets into his letter, have spoken publicly about studies showing that with natural COVID immunity, they will see a two to threefold increase of adverse reactions from the COVID shots. This includes Dr. Ben Edwards' testimony to the Texas Senate Committee on State Affairs this past week. So he gets into the letter here, and I'm going to just pick a few excerpts 
here. He says, specifically, I'm writing to inform you that CVS and Rite Aid customers who are either naturally immune to or recently, recently infected by SARS-CoV-2 are likely to be at risk of harm when your pharmacists indiscriminately vac vaccinate them using the COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. I have extensively communicated my safety concerns about the indiscriminate COVID-19 vaccinations of the already naturally immune and recently infected to the United States Food and Drug Administration, as well as to the executives of Pfizer and Moderna. These entities have chosen so far to ignore these safety concerns uh, to the lives of a minority, quote, a minority subset of Americans. And then let, this is the interesting part. Number one, he says, let me be clear on two main points of liability your attorneys may understand well. Number one, it is abundantly clear that the vast majority of persons who are naturally immune from prior SARS-CoV-2 infections gain little to no benefit from additional vaccination. This statement is not only consistent with the basic tenets of immuno immunological clinical science, but it, it was also demonstrated by the results from the J&J &J vaccine uh, clinical trials and by recent results emerging from Israel, see below links. Therefore, vaccination of the naturally immune is simply an unnecessary medical treatment in the vast majority of such persons. And then he can, uh, continues that that would constitute, quote, unreasonable harm. And he goes through the, the actual laws against that and different things. Then he goes on. Number two, as a matter of clinical standard, we already know that vaccinating infected persons is potentially harmful. Certainly, recent CDC guidelines indicate that persons infected with SARS-CoV-2 should wait for three months before getting vaccinated. This is an implicit acknowledgement that such persons are at risk of harm. And he goes on and he gives lots of examples and lots of studies, etc. But did you know that? That is crazy that I didn't know that. That, that the CDC guidelines state that a person who has been infected with SARS-CoV-2 should wait three months before getting vaccinated. And I guess part of his point is, you know, CBS and all these people, they should be asking that question if that's the CDC guidelines. Moving on to what I've been calling vaccine damage stories. Uh, CDC reports two more infant deaths following experimental COVID injections during clinical trials. Now this is uh, from this data is taken from the VAERS uh, database, but um, the CDC released more data in their vaccine adverse event reporting system today, and it included two new deaths of infants age two and age one. While none of the COVID injections have emergency use authorization for children under the age of 17 yet, there are ongoing trials with children being injected with the experimental shots as young as six months old. One of the infants who died was apparently in a Pfizer trial, while the other one was apparently in a Moderna trial. VAERS ID 1255745 involved a two-year-old baby girl in Virginia who died five days after she was injected. The VAERS entry appears to be made by a family member who laments that the child's death, death was, quote, uh, going, was going to happen anyway apparently repeating what the health, of, health officials were telling them and that they would probably claim her death, quote, had nothing to do with the shot. Um, and it goes through and gives the information here. This is not the first child that we've seen die. And I don't, in these trials, I'm not sure, you know, there's been a lot of anti-VAERS information lately. And I was just wanting to say real quickly, yes, VAERS isn't perfect, but it is all that we've got. And it's the reason that it's all we've got is that 
Um, back in the 80s, the vaccine companies threatened Ronald Reagan that they would not make vaccines anymore unless they got immunity because their product was so bad that nobody would want it because it was causing so much harm. So they got immunity in, in a sense. And what happened is the vaccine federal courts were set up. VAERS was set up as a sort of thing that nobody even really knows about. If you're a doctor, they hardly even know that VAERS exists. It's this thing that gets swept under the rug that, oh yeah, you can report ad adverse reactions so they can say that they do something. But no, VAERS is all we've got. It's not perfect and... It's important because if, if it wasn't for that, uh, who knows, we would basically just be at the mercy of however much money Pfizer pays the people that give us the news. Let's see, 48-year-old surgeon dead after mocking, quote, anti-vaxxers and writing his own obituary after Moderna COVID injections. That's sort of a weird one. Teen hospitalized with blood clots in brain after first dose of Pfizer. Women report menstrual irregularities after COVID-19 vaccination. I just picked this one out. I've been trying to follow this one because their story is rapidly always changing now to the fact that it is definitely causing it. They set up a little survey that's going to do nothing. Eventually, they'll get around to testing it. To that end, there has been a test about the placenta that I wanted to read. This was a study done at Northwestern Medicine, and it is basically they took... The study authors collected placentas from 84 vaccinated patients and 116 unvaccinated patients who delivered at uh, Prentice Women's Hospital in Chicago and pathologically examined the placentas whole and microscopically following birth. Most placentas received vaccines, either modern, Moderna or Pfizer, during the third trimester. So this is basically just putting placenta material under a microscope to see if there was any damage to the placenta. So it is a study. They, they said basically, hey, it's all good. Everything's fine. You know, there was no problems. But this study actually hasn't been published. We have absolutely no idea of the real methodology, what they actually found. All we have right now are the study authors saying that it's all good and that they'll publish the results some other later date. So, But I do want to mention it because it could be that this is true, that it's not actually damaging the placentas. My uh, thinking was it wasn't the vaccine itself that was going to damage the placentas, but the antibodies would attack the placenta. That was the original theory, that the placenta cells would look like the spike protein and therefore uh, be attacked, uh, and that could especially happen in the early stages, which may be the reason for the uh, various menstrual problems. And that that's essentially what's happening is the placenta is being developed during that and the placenta, if it, anyway, who knows? That's the point. Nobody knows right now. So uh, we just have to wait for this kind of stuff. But again, nobody can trust anybody anymore. The trust has completely been thrown away because again, of all this money that's been thrown at everybody to come up with results that the biggest money grab of all time um, wants. So, you know, it's hard, but we'll just have to take what we can get. And this is what we're seeing right now. It's certainly all over the wires right now that, that there's no problems in the placenta, but this doesn't really prove that. It just is a doctor speaking before a study is published. And it's just like hydroxychloroquine. If they had said this before we got to see the actual methodology in that study, we, we would have never known that they were actually giving them lethal doses of hydroxychloroquine in order to prove it was unsafe. 
you know, if we were just dealing with the doctor saying, oh, we tested hydroxychloroquine, we found it, it wasn't very safe for you and you shouldn't take it, it doesn't really help with COVID. They didn't tell you that they gave it to him 14 days after infection and they gave him a lethal dose. So it's important to read the whole study and wait for it to come out to see if this actually means anything in this day and age of propaganda. All right, moving on to Israel news. That is certainly in the news now. And when I first started this podcast, I had said, I really don't know if what I'm seeing is par for course, since I haven't really been following Israel news that closely. So this could just be just a day in the life of Israel, or it could be something interesting that we need to take note of, something out of the ordinary. And at least I think this latest round of things is out of the ordinary and some interesting stuff is happening. But it's all over the place in terms of the reporting. I don't know. It's so hard to get any kind of idea of what's actually happening there because there is basically no honest reporting about Israel. There is either extremely pro or extremely anti. Probably the vast majority is extremely anti. And fake news is alive and well with the anti-Israel press. Uh, that being said, there is a tendency on the far right to sort of minimize anything, not report on stuff that's bad for Israel sort of stuff. So they have their own problems there. And um, we'll try to parse it out here. I'm going to read from this Wall Street Journal article by Felicia Schwartz as it seems to be more or less um, right down the middle. And it gives us a lot of information to springboard and talk about what's all going on so that we can get a better picture. Fighting between Israel and Hamas intensified on Tuesday with the Palestinian militant group launching hundreds of rockets from Gaza and Israel responding with airstrikes that have now killed more than 25 people as the two sides prepare for a wider conflict. The rocket's fire reached central Israel and the coastal city of Tel Aviv on Tuesday evening, killing three Israelis. Sirens blared, loud booms could be heard across the city, and light streaks from the missiles and Israel's Iron Dome defense system crossed overhead in the night sky. So the we need to almost back up from this moment because there's a lot going on that led to this. I think part of the problem is there were a lot of clashes that were just basically a result of mis unfortunate calendar situations. You had normal holidays. So the Palestinians have a lot of holidays that are basically anti-Israel in nature. You know, the We Hate Israel Day, basically. And they had a couple of those. And obviously Ramadan was happening in the last day of Ramadan. And some of that stuff was happening too. But interspersed within that and sort of after that, there are these sort of anti-Israel holidays that they have. In a way, it's kind of like, and maybe even a response to, Israel having a day called Jerusalem Day, which celebrates their history of you know, Jerusalem for 3,000 years or whatever it has been. And so it's kind of inflammatory that day, that holiday, uh, to people that believe that it, they didn't really exist 3,000 years ago and have no claim to the land, et cetera, et cetera, the same old problem. It's just that this particular uh, cycle, a lot of those days ended up being on the same days. So I have a reason to be on the Temple Mount and you have a reason to be on the Temple Mount. So that was part of it, these days actually coinciding. But you've got a lot of things that are playing into this. So, for example, we mentioned in the last podcast about the uh, Palestinian election problem in which Mahmoud Abbas basically said, OK, I'm going to cancel the elections because everybody knows if he has an election, then Hamas is going to win. And that means that they would no, <laughs> no longer get international funding because you, 
as much as the world hates Israel, they're not going to publicly fund Hamas. Uh, so, so they canceled those elections. But Hamas uh, is gaining a, a lot of popularity among you know the Palestinians, etc. So on the Temple Mount, the last day of Ramadan, and all kind of up to that, there had been Hamas flags and stuff, which had not been really a thing that you'd seen before. But it's because of the popularity coinciding with this election problem and all that stuff. So there were all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, clashes on the Temple Mount, sort of. Now these seem to be, and I watched a lot of videos on this, and they weren't that big of a deal. There were a lot of fireworks being uh, set off. There was one tree that caught on fire because of the fireworks. And, you know, there was basically fireworks and related stuff, just basic tensions and fist fighting led to Israeli police, you know, basically clearing the area. I don't know if they use tear gas, but that kind of thing, rubber bullets and tear gas. Hey, everybody, calm down. Let's get off here. Stop shooting off fireworks and the rest of it. And for a while, the narrative was Israel goes on and, and you know, hundreds of Palestinians injured. That was the story for like three days. Palestinians injured on the Temple Mount because they, you know, innocently got bullets shot at them by the Israel police. And, you know, I'm not trying to say one was better or the other, but if you are setting fire to trees and doing all kinds of stuff in the middle of the city, you you can't do that. And so, yeah, riot, riot police came in and that's when you saw all these sort of like outrage. I can't believe Turkey comes out and says, this hurting Palestinian, peaceful Palestinian uh, uh, worshipers is just out of hand. Israel is whatever, you know. So that wasn't anything to think of, but it was just another cog in this machine of these tensions building, right? And of course, it all seems grander than it has before because these are on the holy days and they're uh, filled with religious fervor there on the Temple Mount, etc. Another bit of fuel on the fire has been this, uh, what is it, Shika Jara, which is a neighborhood in East Jerusalem, which has been, it's got a history, it goes back to 1948, um, and there is some pretty good, you know, if you were just talking historically, Israelis would have a good claim to saying, no, that was unfair, they took it from us, and we had it for the majority of the time, etc. It's an interesting story, but what's interesting about it is those the way that they settled that since 1967 is that Israel owns those buildings. They And the, the Palestinians that live there, there's like a, dozens of Palestinians that live in this complex, basically, think of it as. They have been paying rent to the Israelis since 1967. So it's not like Israel is going into a place that they don't own and saying, hey, we own this now, everybody leave. No, this is the landlord, if you will, saying evicting people. So you can see that language in these sort of, Israel's going out and tearing people, throwing people in the streets, but they're still saying evicting because they know they don't actually own the thing and they've been paying rent. So it's important to know, but the way it's being reported in the press is that uh, Israel is evicting these Palestinians on the street for something that they didn't do in 1948. And yes, it's probably not a good look and you know you could debate who's right or wrong here, but that is an important distinction. Regardless, it's another thing that is causing the tension in Israel. All right, so that brings us up to speed to the last couple days. And reading this one article, the fighting, the biggest escalation since 2019 stems from blah, blah, blah. We talked about some of that stuff. We talked about that. Several days of clashes between the Palestinians and Israeli police in Jerusalem exploded into full-on conflict Monday evening after Hamas launched dozens of rockets 
and it was said to avenge Israel's action in the contested holy city. So they fired all these rockets. It's, it's an actually very impressive video. I mean, just tons of coordinated missiles. And then on the other end, you have Israel's Iron Dome, which is basically counter missiles that are fired at those missiles that sort of explode them in the air. So it's a pretty interesting thing to see. Uh, I had not seen it. And again, I'm maybe because I don't watch it that much or haven't been paying attention, but it definitely seemed to be a lot more of a thing than I've seen before. Um, moving on. The Biden administration condemned the rocket fire from Gaza and said it supports Israel's right to defend itself. So that was an interesting that uh, America's current take on it is to defend Israel about it. Secretary of State, blah, blah, blah. White House Jen Psaki said Tuesday that American officials have candidly raised concerns with Israel officials in recent weeks about evictions of Palestinian families in East Jerusalem. See, eviction there. Anyway, but in response to the rocket attacks... Then Israel strikes these this building. Israel strikes in the response to the barrages. So in response to the missile attacks that began Monday evening, uh, they have Israel has now killed at least 28 people, including 10 children. Israel's military said it was inv uh, investigating reports that children were killed and that some casualties might have been caused by rockets. Okay, so Israel's saying that some of those children may have been caused by rockets fired from Gaza that exploded here, there before we reaching Israel. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But I do want to say, so Israel attacked this one building and officially said that they killed this leader of Hamas that was in this high-rise building at the time. I say high-rise, it was probably eight stories or something like that. And the building fell over. It basically like sort of did a half-controlled demolition and just fell over after it was uh, 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 hit with these missiles. And, you know, they say they texted people and told them to get out beforehand. I don't know how that works if you're trying to kill a high-value target. But I'm assuming people died there, at least part of that 28 people number. Israel is, however, uh, it, it, this is an important distinction with this. If you've never seen... And this is what I think informs a lot of my theories about how they treat Israel. There is a very old documentary at this point called Pallywood. Pally as in Palestinian, Pallywood. It will never, you'll never look at this reporting the same way again. Palestinians have used, and they know how much the media loves it, the idea of taking children, using them, lying about it, taking dead children from other things and making people think that they were killed. There's a great website called Honest Reporting that did the Pallywood film, but they're still covering news today. And it's really an interesting site. And they may be a little slanted on the other side too, don't get me wrong. But they do, when they show it, you'll see it. And it is typically undeniable. Like it's the same person over here that did this over here. I mean, they're, they're busted, if you will, in many of the cases. But in any case, I think the only way to understand Israeli news is to listen to the both extremes. You cannot just focus on one, you have to listen to the other because unfortunately there's no moderates. Um, and then you need to sort of sift through all that and decide what's happening. So I'll, I'll end Israel talk here, but I do want to point out one, a couple final things here. Um, and this story from the Jewish press, Israel guarantees Muslims freedom of worship, Jews banned from the Temple Mount on Jerusalem day. So this has been a while ago now, but this was just showing the hypocrisy that Israel lets the Muslims on the Temple Mount for their third holiest site, and Jews have been banned for how long, however long, from even praying on the Temple Mount. So it's a really sort of false, uh, you know, unequal dichotomy thing going on where 
Jewish people can't do anything on the Temple Mount, but it's their most holy site and everything else. And Muslim people can do whatever they want and shoot off fireworks and whatever. So I mentioned that to say that that tension more than anything else, I think is going to cause some problems. And I also wanted to say another thing to add to this is that the Israeli leadership is basically rudderless at this point. Netanyahu is probably you know, has a chance, but it looks like he's probably not going to be the next prime minister. He can't form a government. There's a lot of stuff going on there, but there's an interim government that is not, basically there's no, nobody at the wheel here. So this is a, it's an interesting time to do something. And of course you throw in all the, the COVID and the lockdown and the people mad about that. And you've got yourself a recipe for something. Do I think it has anything to do with Bible prophecy? No, I don't see anything specifically that's that we were told to look for in the Bible. I think you'd have to get pretty general and say something like wars and rumors of wars or, you know, the Israel would be back in the land or you, know, you have to get pretty general. You can't get too specific if you want to say this is Bible prophecy. And really, if, you get, if you're going to go that general, then there's no way we could know if this is Bible prophecy or not unless it was in hindsight. I would say that the first event in the definition of the end times, that is to say the 70th week of Daniel, is a covenant made with Israel that at least functionally results in sacrifices in the Temple Mount. And so that is just not happening. You know, wars and rumors of wars, that's not what this is talking about. That's a specific series of wars and rumors of wars connected to the seals, starting with seal one and the rider on the white horse with the bows and the conquering that happens after that. It's also connected to Daniel 11. This isn't that. This isn't that. This is this may lead to something, and that's why we're watching. But in my opinion, and I may be much more conservative than other Bible prophecy people, but this doesn't yet have anything to do with Bible prophecy, though I am willing to change my mind if I see anything relevant. Okay, so let's talk about the cyber attack on U.S. oil and gas and the pipeline and the gas shortages and all that stuff. And I am reading here from the World Economic Forum, and this was posted a, uh, a day ago, about almost two days ago now. It says, what the cyber attack on U.S. oil and gas pipeline means and how to increase security. Now, does anybody else think it's a little bit crazy that the World Economic Forum and its great reset of is one of its primary sort of goals is talking about cyber attacks on, um, uh, you know, infrastructure and how it's so important. You hear Joe Biden, you know, he's talking about the jobs that need to be created. And it's all about cyber security. It's just, it was a weird take on a lot of this stuff. Just a couple interesting things about this. Uh, and I'm indebted to Monica on the propaganda report for pointing out that the company, well, the company, uh, uh what's it called? Colonial pipeline. They're the ones that shut down the pipeline because of the cyber attack. The cyber attack didn't shut down the pipeline. The idea is that they you know, noticed a, a vulnerability in their security, so they shut it down in abundance of caution to figure it out or whether to pay the ran ransomware. But the point is, we can't confirm any of that. In fact, the company that's working on debugging it or fixing it for them or whatever is a CIA-funded company, again, according to the propaganda report that came out of like CIA's think tank, this 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 cybersecurity company or whatever. So it all just kind of is weird. It's a it's it didn't have to happen, I guess you could say. You might even say that the shortages on gas to some extent are because people are, are making a run on it because they they see a line to the gas station and think, well, I better get some gas if they're going to run out of gas and then I got to get it. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's certainly going to impact things. We were already being told that there were shortages as a result of uh, not enough tanker truck drivers being certified. And maybe that was kind of rolled up in the not enough employees because of 
other problems and, and the stimulus and all that. So I don't know. But this is going to have a lasting impact. And it makes me think of all the different kinds of things that are happening. And I don't know. My One take I have on it that I thought about today was that definitely inflation is coming. And the Fed is in a big... I don't know what the kind of high-level game the, the Fed is having to play, but they're really in a rock and a hard place. They can't raise interest rates or they completely destroy the economy. They can't let people know that inflation is real and they really printed us into oblivion and we're all in trouble because that would also crash the economy. So their only thing is to lie at this point and to hope people don't recognize that it's actual real inflation as a result of their monetary policy. And they're what they keep saying, the buzzword of the day is transitory. It's all transitory. It's just because of the uh, Suez Canal. It's just because of COVID. It's just because of this hack in the pipeline. It's just because of the trucker shortage. It's just because of the worker shortage. It's just because some chicken, the chicken sandwich craze, somebody wanted too many chicken sandwiches. It's just because of this and this and this, and that's driving up prices. So there's all these narratives about why the prices are, are driving up, and none of those narratives are, we printed too much money, and that's what happens when you do that. So that could be it. I mean, I waffle back and forth on a daily basis about the nature of inflation or deflation or what's going to happen. I really don't think anybody knows. I think my last take on it was that um, they, there were some things that were likely to be transitory. And part of the thinking there was that some of these things did seem to be easily correctable. For example, the lumber shortage, they really have a ton of lumber in the lumber yards, and that's not where the problem is. Um, and same thing with, I don't know, chicken or something like that. There are definitely real situations that can be figured out at some point, unless it's more systemic than that, unless there really is a trade deficit situation where people don't want to send us their goods anymore for the dollars and there is real inflation fallout. So I don't know yet. I don't really have a good take on it. So, and we're now just getting into the economic news. So let's go ahead and make that transition. I did want to go ahead and thank uh, Daniel for his donation that just came in uh, right now. Thank you for that, Daniel. I do appreciate it. I don't think I'm going to try not to mention donations that much. I really don't want this podcast to be about donations or me asking for them. I certainly do appreciate them. I probably won't talk about it much. I do want to continue to say you can support the podcast by praying for me, praying that God does an event that shows people somehow the truth of all this stuff and gives us something to rally around and to, to think about and to praise him about. Um, I do want to ask you to review the podcast and things like that. So continue to do that. But I'll probably minimize the talk about donations. They are certainly appreciated, but I don't want to make it that I'm asking for them or that I need them. Um, and part of that is that I don't want this to be turned around on me and say, well, you're doing this because of money or anything else like that. And I don't, I don't want that to be the case. I'm, I'm doing this because I mean, I think that comes across. I'm doing it because I can't not do it. <laughs> um, and it really does help me to go through all the news stuff. And, and I hope it helps you too. I should also point out that the Trans-Israel Pipeline oil container is in flames. This is five hours ago. So there's this video of this, some kind of oil reserve situation in Israel. So another pipeline of oil is on fire in Israel, apparently as a result of a Gaza, direct hit from a Gaza rocket. So this is big, this is going to do a lot of the same thing and it makes me think it's all coordinated. Who knows what's going on, but serious business is going on. It makes me think, you know, um, I think it's important for us to recognize where we are in the, in the, in history 
and it's probably the case when people are in the midst of some sort of significant historical place that they're too close to it to really see how it will be viewed in the future. And I think it's important to recognize yourself in the historical moment and to know that this could be very much talked about, all the ins and outs and what did you do and how did you react to it and what were you saying about it and all that stuff. It'll be analyzed and hyper-analyzed in the future, assuming the Lord doesn't come back or assuming that, the, that there is freedom in the future, because that's not something I'd, I think you can assume at this point. In fact, I think that you can pretty much bet there won't be at the rate that it's going, which is why I continually ask people to pray that God stops it, as I think he did once before, or probably many, many times before, uh, stopped Satan's just relentless advances um, in trying to take over the world. Uh, but one of those was with the formation of America. I think that was a direct response to prayer that, um, you know, George Washington crossing the Delaware and setting up a system of freedom which allowed Christianity to prosper. And Christianity, just by its nature of prospering, gave us a good deal of uh, good things for 200 years. And so we should thank God for having blessed us with this time to, to flourish, even if it's coming to an end, which I hope it isn't, but it might be. Okay, I said I was going to get into economic stuff. I have this one, a record number of small businesses can't find enough workers to hire, and FIB finds. I don't really have much to say on that. Other than I do think that, again, the Propaganda Report's take on this might have something to it, which is that I read an article recently about inflation isn't really inflation because we haven't actually increased wages yet. And because of the stimulus and all these other things, that's me, by the way, if anybody's wondering, um, we haven't been able to pay the work, you know, get workers. So you're going to have to increase your pay. And that makes the calculations on people like McDonald's or whatever that have been holding off from automation um, that, that changes their calculations. Where now, because of the worker shortage and having to pay them more anyway to get any because of inflation, it makes more sense to go ahead and invest the money in automation right now, which, again, is the World Economic Forum's main bugaboo, right? They, they want people to, they think the future is the fourth industrial revolution, which is all about robotics. It's all about that's going to be the whole wave of the future. Everything's automated, et cetera, et cetera. So the can't find enough workers could be an engineered thing in order to move us to a more automated workforce, which would not have been economically reasonable to invest that money uh, without it. I wanted to hit this one because it's important to know that this is happening all over the world. This is from uh, RT World News. Quote, civil war is brewing in France, and you know it. French military launches another salvo at Macron with a new open letter. So this is the French military to the president, and this is mostly about the concessions he's made to uh, Islam. And if you know about the sort of nature of what's happening in France, it's kind of like what's happening at the border now, the open border policy, except it's a few years down the road in France, except instead of you know South America, they have... Syria refugees, et cetera, et cetera. And it's changing the culture of France. It's just, you know, the same kind of socialism stuff they're already entrenched in. It's basically not working very well. And a lot of people on both sides are pretty mad about it. So they're saying civil war. And it reminds me of that early on in the coronavirus thing, really early on, Henry Kissinger said something to the effect, and I should pull up this quote, but basically, this pandemic was really great for the New World Order because 
Uh, it would make people mad at their local governments. It would make them rebel against their local governments. And ultimately, it would see, let everybody see the, the beauty of the new world order and the necessity for it. So a really terrible, evil take from a real terrible, evil man. And I can't even believe he's still alive. He must be 150. Just a couple more stories before we get out of here. And I wanted to move on to just some random stuff, some Christian stuff. This pastor, Arthur Pawlowski, was arrested in Canada. He's the one that's Nazis, you Nazis. And it was just really great. I do think this is a mistake on their part. I know that there were massive uh, Quebecian sort of demonstrations and, and whatnot. Of course, you're not seeing that in the news. But uh, I think that Canada is, you know, really just fed up with this. And Canada is not letting up on the lockdowns or anything else. And it's just getting crazy. So uh, I think this was a bad move. I think that he was too popular and in, they arrested him in this way and he, him like not even walking with them, like forcing them to pick him up like the Nazis that uh, he has been calling them. And I think it's a bad move. I think, I hope that uh, something good comes of it, of it. So I just wanted to put that out there. I wanted to move on to this study about evolution, which I got from Evolution News, but they're quoting an article written in a science journal and it's a really interesting thing because this is a the, the article that they're quoting is a totally 100% secular evolutionary journal and the authors are remarking about the fossil record that you know hey it's been 150 years we still haven't seen a single uh, a bit of evidence to suggest, well, let me just read the quote. After 150 years of continuous discoveries, essential information about human origins remains elusive. Even worse, relatively complete fossil apes undisputably assigned to early members of the gorilla and chimpanzee lineages remain to be found, meaning they haven't found any. They haven't found any. We're supposed to see, I mean, if evolution is true, right, we should see a ton of, a ton of transitionary fossils from apes to humans and the ones that they you know show are got problems but this is all gone through in this uh article quite frankly i don't i've never really been much on the evolution apologetics thing i've i've recognized it as incredibly uh something you got to devote a lot of time to if you're going to be really into it i've just never have so so I don't really know much as much about it, but I am going to try to keep track of it more as I am doing this uh, uh, podcast. You know, I've got a few more, but in the interest of keeping this podcast short and sweet, I'll go ahead and wrap it up for today. Again, you can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. Thank you to all that are listening. And you can email if you want at ChrisWhite79 at ProtonMail.com. We'll see you next time. Bye.